you guys are doing a, a series on the Holy Spirit. I'm going to just bring kind of my take on some of these things if I can. I'm trusting it's an overlap of what you've heard. If it's not, then we're all missing it. It should be similar. I don't know what you've been preaching down here, but I know you're doing a series on the Holy Spirit. But I'm trusting that even you who are here this morning think you know everything about the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit will reveal to you fresh things, new things, and real things, truth, what the Bible says, not what you've been taught. I really want to challenge not those who've taught us the wrong things by their heart, but by theology. We need to come back to what does God have to say about God, the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to just look at some of those. I want to talk about what are some of the signs of a spirit-filled church. And this is not so we can tick boxes off and this is how we can come back to truth and say, what does it actually look like from Scripture? And I trust that I've loved what's happened already this morning and the testimony. And those are some of the signs of a true Holy Spirit-filled church, and that's where we want to be. This church wants to be that. We want to live in that. don't want to talk about it. We want to be it and do it and live in it, and I do believe that's what God's taken us back to. So if you've got a Bible, please turn with me to the book of Acts. I think it's to state the obvious. This is a good go-to scripture, Acts chapter 1. We're going to look at it, just some truth from scripture. I do want to challenge you and say this. The greatest threat, I believe, to the Word of God is not outright opposition. But it's probably more those who claim to believe the Bible, but are ignorant to what it actually says. That's more dangerous than outright opposition. And again, I'm not challenging what you think. I'm challenging our theology. Do you know what the Bible says? Because it's one thing to say, I believe the Bible, but do you know what it actually says? And when it comes to things of the Holy Spirit, it would seem the church has been taught a whole lot of things that the Bible actually doesn't say. That's why we want to come back to the Word of God. Can I also say, just in stating obvious things again, don't build your theology or a theology out of bitterness or out of fear or even out of experience, whether it be good or bad, especially when it comes to the revelation of the Holy Spirit. Many of us have this fear of the Holy Spirit, and it's not this reverence and awe. It's this fearfulness. We're not sure about who the Holy Spirit is and we're kind of like, uh, not sure, we're not comfortable. So we just sideline the Holy Spirit and we run after God the Father, God the Son, but the Holy Spirit stuff, not so sure. And we put it aside because we've had a good experience or a bad experience or a fear of. I'm just going to say this morning, the Holy Spirit is not an optional extra for us who want to be deluxe Christians. The Holy Spirit is not a blessing from God. If He was simply a blessing from God, then here's the deal. We get to choose whether we want this blessing or not. But the Bible's clear that the Holy Spirit is part of the Godhead, the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Godhead, three God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But the majority of us believe in a Trinitarian God. Yes, there's God the Father. Yes, there's God the Son. Yes, there's God the Holy Spirit. But most of us, if we're honest, live with a binitarian revelation. God the Father, God the Son, and Holy Spirit, I'm not sure, put Him aside. If He was a blessing, then we get to choose whether we want this blessing or not. If He's part of the Godhead, what will we do? with the Holy Spirit, 
as God's. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. See, what I believe what the writer is actually saying, Paul's saying, is it's not where the Holy Spirit is, there is freedom. When the Spirit is recognized as Lord, when we yield to the Spirit as Lord, not blessing, Lord, that's where freedom comes. So what will we do with the Holy Spirit this morning? Yeah, it's cool, and we're not sure, but no, we need to understand more and more. Then he said, well, we're about the Word, and I understand that. Well, then we understand that the Word is about the Spirit. <laughs> Word and spirit are not two different truths. Yeah. Yeah, They're one truth. Yeah. Somehow today, even this last weekend, a weekend before, I was in California and I was asked this question. Yes, Tyron, I know that the word and the spirit are equal. But, but where do you feel like there is more emphasis? And, and it's like, it's almost, and I've come to this place, and I know it's a silly illustration, but it's the best I have. What's more important on an airplane? The right wing or the left wing? Good luck with that. I mean, it's a stupid question. Why is that? Because you need both wings for the plane. It's a stupid question to ask what's more important, word or spirit. Forgive me. It doesn't, there's no answer to that because we need both. See, word and spirit go hand in hand. And what we need is to understand that. I remember someone told me this, too much word and we dry up. Too much word, I mean, too much spirit, and we blow up. But word and spirit, that's where we grow up. And so the word and spirit are not contradicting truths. They're truths that work hand in hand together. And that's what we need. We need the spirit to teach us the word. And we need the word to define what is the spirit. And that's why we go into the word of God. D.L. Moody said, the Bible without the Holy Spirit is a sundial by moonlight. In other words, trying to read Scripture and understand Scripture without the Holy Spirit is like a sundial by moonlight. How many of you know a sundial needs sun in order to operate? So many of us are like looking at Scripture. We're all about the Word. No, friends, we're about Word and Spirit because that's what the Bible is all about. All right, and uh, just remember this as we read the Bible. The Bible is the only book whose author is always present when we read it. That helps us understand the role of the Spirit when it comes to these truths. Amen? All right, let's read. Acts chapter 1. Remember when you open the Bible, here's what happens. God opens His mouth. God speaks when His Word is read. Acts chapter 1, verse 3. says this, After His suffering, He presented Himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that He was alive. I still think that is the mandate of heaven for the church today, is to go about and convince and prove, not just shout it out and declare, but demonstrate, convince and prove that Jesus Christ is alive. Not we heard He's alive, not someone told us, show people today He's alive and well. He went about convincing and proving that He's alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. And he spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift. Wait for the gift. Wait for the gift. That my, fa- that, that, sorry, that my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water. 
But in a few days, you will be, not could be, might be, if you're lucky, if you're blessed, if there's an option for you, if you're doing the right thing, you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you, they're trying to understand what this is about. And they said, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times or dates. None of your business. If I can just bring it to today's language. Nanya. It's none of your business. Yet today it's become our business at the expense of the business he's given us. We are wrestling over times and dates and seasons and what's happening and what's not happening. And those things matter, but they don't matter. They don't take the place of what matters. Jesus said, that's up to my Father. It's not up to you. So stay out of that stuff and don't get caught up in it. And I just want to say, as this local church is being birthed more and more into the call of God, don't get caught up in the stuff that interests you if it's not interest from the Father for us to know what we've been called to do. Is that all right? It's okay to know dates and study and love. Some of you love numbers and that's cool. Don't number love at the expense of the mission we've been put on this planet for and the power that we've been given to get the job done. That's what he says here. It's not for you to know the times and dates that the Father has set by His own authority. Here we go, verse 8. But you will receive power. I don't know what you do with that word, but we've got to do something. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts. I love that text because it doesn't mean you're going to get empowered and then go and do witnessing like we love to teach. And so we tell everyone, go do witnessing now that you're empowered. It's not what it says. It says you'll be empowered and in your empowering, in the spirit, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, you will be, it's an identity, you will be my witnesses by the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Does it make sense, guys? It's an identity for us. When the Holy Spirit baptized them, that's when they were now being witnesses rather than let's go and do witnesses. Let's tag witnessing on to our job. No, it's who we are. That's what the Spirit does in us. You receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes in, you'll be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outermost parts of the earth. That word power, I know you know this, but I'm going to just keep saying it. That word comes from the Greek word dunamis. And that is where we in our English word get the word dynamite. So Jesus said, wait, for you will receive dynamite, dunamis. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, not separate from the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will bring dynamite, dunamis to you. All right, you're hearing that. Now, now when we think of dynamite, what do we think of? Something that blows things up. I want to tell you that's a dangerous thing. Because that's not what Jesus is saying. He didn't say, I'm giving you dynamite to go blow things up spiritually. And that's probably where we've seen the church mess up, is we love to mess everything up. When God's not about messing things up, He's about this, this word dunamis has more to do with ability. Please hear that. He didn't say, I'm going to give you dynamite to mess everything up. He said, I'm going to give you the ability to do what I've called you to do. The Holy Spirit came in power to give them the ability, enablement to do what it is He's called us to do. 
And Jesus said to his disciples, you need to wait until you receive this ability. Because without this ability, you cannot do what you've been called to do. Though Jesus had finished all his work and was ready to return to glory, he knew that these believers were not ready to go out into the world in their own strength or in their own power. See, he had already given them authority, and I hope you see that this morning, that he had already said to them, all authority on earth has been given to me, now go. And he gave them authority, but then he said, but wait till you receive power. Because with authority alone, you cannot get the job done. And much of the church loves to walk in the authority and in the name of Jesus. And we, but I'm telling you, friends, we're damaging things if we're not doing it in His power and strength as well. And that's why He said, wait, you've got authority, but you need power. I wanted to say to you this morning, I don't know what you've been taught. I don't know who's taught you what. But the Word of God is very clear. We cannot do this without the power that He gave us. Yet somehow we think we don't need this anymore. Let's just do it in our own flesh. We need no more flesh in the church. Part of the problem in the church globally is we got too much flesh. Everybody's doing what they want to do in their own strength and wondering why the results are man-driven and we're honoring man above God. Are you there? So they had already been given authority. Jesus had done all that he was called to do. He was now leaving them. But he said, you need to wait for power to get on with what I've called you to. They would need a type of power that literally would transform them. And from transforming them, it would transform others. They needed transforming power. See, this experience of the Holy Spirit is different from salvation. I'm just going to say to you this morning, if you're saved here this morning, you already have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit plays a major role in your salvation. You cannot be saved without Him, right? I heard someone say this, what God planned for you, Jesus purchased for you, and the Holy Spirit personalizes it in you. They all play equal roles in this thing of salvation. God planned it, Jesus purchases it, and the Holy Spirit personalizes it. So your salvation, all the work of salvation is personalized and in you. Christ did it for you, the Spirit does it in you. So all of us this morning in this room already have the Holy Spirit. And that's what Jesus was saying. You've already got the Spirit, but wait for the power because this is different now. This is not you have the Spirit in you. This is the Spirit needs to come on you. Does that make sense? It's almost like we have the Holy Spirit, but this baptism, does the Holy Spirit have us? And that's the question this morning. You all have Him already if you're a believer, which I believe everyone is this morning. So you already have the Holy Spirit. The question is, does the Holy Spirit have you? So these are, they already received the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 20, verse 22, Jesus had breathed on them earlier and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So they already had Him, but now Jesus is saying, wait to receive power from Him. And this baptism of the Holy Spirit is something very different. This is where they who already had the Holy Spirit now would have the Holy Spirit have them. And so let's read now in Acts chapter 2. Thank you very much. That's great. Appreciate that. Cheers. Cheers. Living water right here, is it? Babe, can you hold that, please? Thank you. Yeah, drink it. Feel free. 
All right, so, so we read that Acts chapter 1, Jesus promised the Holy Spirit. You see that, right? In Acts chapter 2 now, we're going to read quickly, the promise is now here. What Jesus said would happen, what needs to happen, now happens. And in this reading of these few texts, you see the birthing of the church, but you also see the identifying marks, some signs of what a spirit-filled church looks at. In Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like, please, please know it was like, it wasn't that, it was like that. In the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed, now guys, it wasn't genuine fire. I've listened to people talk about this was tongues of fire literally on their head. It didn't say, it said what seemed. Luke is trying to describe something that's probably undescribable. Yet here's why I'm going to highlight that is because most of us, or some of us, or I've met many believers who are so thinking that the book of Acts is so prescriptive that if this stuff that happened then doesn't happen now every time, then it's not really the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? You see, the book of Acts, I believe, in, in some of the outpouring and the definition and the manifestation is more about descriptive than prescriptive. It's not about you have to do all this and then this all has to happen. It's more the descriptive and what seemed to be. And, and I use this illustration all the time. It's the best I have. My youngest son, Jude, is not here today, but he, he's our last child. All right. Many believe we had more and they prophesied they got it all wrong because we said, okay, maybe spiritual kids, but I don't want any more kids. I've got three sons, 21, 19, and 15. I'm good. I'm happy. Give me spiritual ones, but no more kids. Even the prophets got it wrong. Let them keep getting it wrong. <laughs> I was promised there's a daughter on the way. I'm like, not happening, not interested. We believed that Jude was our last child. So we said, okay, when Jude turned one, I'm like, I said to Nicole, babe, let's, let's bless Jude. Let's buy him a gift. It's our last child. And we're just going to buy him this gift. And uh, we're going to bless him with it. And so we bought him this gift and we wrapped it all up and we gave it to him. And he was one year old and he looked at this gift and he began to unwrap it. And we unwrapped it with him. But he was so enamored by the wrapping paper. He didn't actually care about the gift. I looked at the car, I was like, babe, we wasted money. You know, let me just tell you, if you've got babies, just give them wrapping paper, reams of wrapping paper, and they're going to be blessed. Gifts mean nothing to them when they're one years old. But when he turned two, I thought, okay, well, let's kind of like try this thing again. And so we got him another gift. And this time, and this time he unpacked it and he loved the gift. And I was like, oh, my boy, he's maturing. He's becoming a man. He's now wanting the gift. Are you, are you hearing this? It's immaturity to be so enamored with the wrapping paper that we get to miss the gift every time he desires to show up. Don't make... We have to have tongues of fire on our head and this blowing wind for that to only be the Holy Spirit. Because that's not even what we see in the early church. There were many different expressions and manifestations. But the result must always be glory to Jesus, glory to God. They declared the wonders of it. How do we know what's really the Holy Spirit? Who gets the glory for it? Can I suggest if a man or a ministry or a gifting or a song is the thing that we go to to glorify and honor. It's not the Holy Spirit. But the result, when this happened, was they all began to declare the glory and wonder of God. 
No one said, Jesus didn't say, when the Holy Spirit comes, this is what's going to look like, this is what's going to happen, this is going to do, and this is how you're going to respond. He said, when you receive power, you're going to be witnesses. And all of them declared the praises of God. That's the key to what we're doing. So it says, they seem to what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came and reached, uh, rest on each of them. All of them. Please say all. All of them. Not some of them. Not the handful of leaders. Not the women. The men. Everybody means everybody. Meaning this Holy Spirit outpouring is not for some. It's for everyone. It's for all of us in this room today. And it's for all believers to be filled with the Holy Spirit. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, other languages. As the Spirit enabled them, not so they caught it from each other, as the Spirit enabled them, they began to declare the praises and wonders of God in different languages. And then you read on and you see that there's this, this what is wrong with these people? And people began to think, you know, it's interesting that when the Spirit shows up in the church, empowered them, everybody in that city knew the difference. It wasn't for the church, it was for everyone else. When the Spirit, empowered church is filled with the Holy Spirit, it's not that we get to walk around with, it's everybody knows the difference. Yeah. And they began to mock it, and some said, well, these guys, who are they? Who are they declaring the praise of God in our language? All these people were there for Pentecost, and now they're hearing different languages, and they, and they began to mock. Some were like, wild, perplexed, I love the language, lovely language, we need more of that. Amazed and perplexed. How many of you know, these people out there need to be amazed and perplexed by what it is God's doing with us. We're not seeing it because we're looking to natural things rather than supernatural. Yes. Yes. And some said, well, they must be drunk. Isn't that amazing? They all could come up with it. Something's different, they drunk. Something's different. Or they could say, well, they must be drunk. But in verse 14, we see Peter, Peter stands up and, and he says, Then Peter stood up after all this stuff going on with the eleven, and raised his voice and addressed the crowd. He said, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now, can I, can I just say, I love how Peter didn't get up and say, get over it, and you guys are, we are weird, but just get. He brought them back to prophecy. He reminded them that what's happening here was spoken of back then. And that's why we got to keep going to the Word of God and say, what's happening here, we can't all be comfortable with. And it's not about being comfortable. Let's find a backing from Scripture to say, okay, we can proceed with this. Not, oh, get over yourself. There's a lot of weird stuff that happens. If we don't have a biblical backing, we best not go for that stuff. And that's why I think it's so cool to go back to Scripture again and again. Remember I started by saying the ignorance of the Word of God is the biggest challenge to the Word of God. What does the Bible say? Not what are the prophets saying? Not what have we learned in seminaries and schools? What does God say about God the Holy Spirit? And then he said, no, this was spoken of. Verse 17, in the last days God says, I'll pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters, love that. Clear, not men or women, men and women. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit 
You know, friends, if you look at the church today, it seems like we have the spirit of this age in us rather than the spirit of Christ. Verse 19, he says, And I will show wonders in the heaven and above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I love the result is always salvation. Always salvation. The stuff happens, not so the stuff happens, that people will call on the name of the Lord. The great harvest will come from the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. See, but they had a biblical backing for what was happening. We need a biblical backing for what God's doing today. And if it's not happening, we better get back to the Word of God and say, what does it look like to be a spirit-filled church? See, the early church was spirit-filled. Infilling, refilling, and every other filling. Now you might say, well, Tyron, what about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Does that mean that we have to get baptized in water every week? No, once, once and only once. And I believe in baptism of the Holy Spirit is a once-off, but there's an infilling and a refilling that most of the New Testament, certainly the book of Acts shows, that those who were baptized with the Holy Spirit were filled again and infilled and refilled. Peter was filled like three or four times. Again, I'm just telling you, there's an infilling and a refilling, and the early church was Spirit-filled. Filled with the Spirit. There's a Spirit moved. Many of us want the Spirit filling us, but we don't want to be moved by the Spirit. You can't be filled by the Spirit if we're not moved by the Spirit. We've got to keep in step with the Spirit. Not, not just fill me today and then I've got to do my thing. Fill me and take me into your thing. I want to be filled and moved by you, Holy Spirit. Early church. Spirit sent. See, I believe that, that, that surrender, and I hope this morning there's room for this. Surrender... Releases His presence in us. But obedience releases His presence through us. So we need surrendering and obedience. In us, through us. Some of us are all about the through us. Some of us are all about the in us. But it's in and through. In and through. Surrender, obey. Surrender, obey. And that's the early church. Spirit moved. It's also spirit sent. Spirit led. I say this as a church leader. That many churches today, unfortunately, led by great concepts, great truths, things that worked in the past, things we learn at seminary, things we read in books, Spirit-led. We need the church to come back to being led by the Spirit. Read the early church's response. The Spirit spoke, they went. The Spirit said, they did. And I think a church that is man-managed is destined to fail. A church that is Spirit-led will always live where God wants us to keeping in step with what He has for us. John Calvin said, There's no worse screen to block out the Spirit than confidence in our own intelligence. Sounds like most church leaders today. So when I read this early church, and I didn't look at all of it, but I, I do want to just say this. I believe we're living below the poverty line, the spiritual poverty line of what God intended for His church. And God's calling us in a season like this to come back to what it means to be spirit-filled. Someone said the church today is so subnormal that if it were to get back to the New Testament normal, it would actually seem abnormal to most believers. So what does a spirit-filled church look? I'm just going to give us some, not tick boxes, get this in us. Let's build towards this. 
Number one, a spiritual church has his presence. Now, I, I've separated presence and power because I've watched too many guys put it together and we emphasize power at the expense of presence. And they're not the same thing. Paul said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Many guys I know today have said to me, just give me the power. I want his power. Recognize, what about him? I want to know Christ. See, you'll... Jesus actually said there will be many who will do things in my name. Power. Yet they will come to me and I'll say, depart from, you. I ne- depart from me, I never knew you. I can't understand that. But what I do know is power is not enough. Presence matters more. Are you there, friends? And I believe a true spiritful church is a church that has genuine, not presence, His presence. Someone say the modern church focuses upon filling churches with people, but the true church focuses on filling people with God. Now, I've been thinking about this. What would a church look like? Why can't we, this people here, be this? What would a church look like if it was built to attract God, not just simply attract people? In 1 Samuel 16, God says that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. we got all the stuff that's so outwardly attractive to people to come be part of, but we have no attraction to God because the heart's all about reaching people rather than attracting God. I I, I want to say, I want to be in a church or part of a church or be the church that is more about attracting God than it is about attracting people. And the early church was about attracting God. God was there. People got saved. You know, the Bible emphasizes God's manifest presence, not just His omnipresence. Now, I think most Christians default to the omnipresence. In other words, God's everywhere. Inescapable. You can't, if I go to the highest heights, He's there. If the lowest, we love that. And we love to preach about the omnipresence because God's everywhere. But, but, but we don't like to talk about the manifest presence, meaning God is here. We, we're comfortable with God being everywhere because we don't have to really address it. But what about God being here? Now we're going to do something with it. But it seems scripture that these truths are not in t- intention, but scripture emphasizes way more, more concerned about the manifest presence than just this omnipresence. In the Garden of Eden, God is here. In the temple... God is here. In redemption, God is here. Jesus incarnate came. There is this. And even in the book of Revelation, there it's this God coming back. It's this in manifested presence, guys. And so we can't just live with God's everywhere. So we're cool with that. We've got to live with God is here. What are we going to do with that? Uh, Exodus 33 is such a great text. And I know... Speaking about Moses as this man, and Moses was told to go and do all this stuff by God, and Moses said, listen, <laughs> I'm not going anywhere if you don't go with me. Yeah. I'm, you're, it's your presence, not your power, your presence. Yeah. Your presence identifies us as your people, and your presence distinguishes us from all other people. 
It's not going to be the systems and the things we have in place and the community groups and all that. It's the presence of God that distinguishes us as His people. Yet there's such lack of His presence in most congregations and churches because most people don't even think about the presence. We just want to come in and give our thing and hear our thing. Imagine, remember some of the songs, we are here for you. We have this concept, God's here for us and whatever you need, He has your moment. No, no, how about we are here for you? I mean, it's a different concept, but it's a church that attracts God. This is what this church is called to be. But it's not up to one or two leaders. It's up to all of us to say. And so here's the thing, guys. Most church, you know, the, the, the crisis in the church today is that majority of people in the church have no actual belief that the presence of God is here. And so we as leaders want our people to declare their uttermost love for Him and confess their sin before Him. But most people don't even have the concept of God being here. They just think God's everywhere. So they don't even, how do you give your life and you pour out your heart to something you don't know is here? And when it comes to singing and worship, here let me step on some of our toes, it's the art, not, I mean it's the heart of worship, not the art of worship. And I'm not saying let's be weird. I'm just saying God doesn't, someone said when you stop looking for um, excellence in worship, then you'll find God. Because God's not looking for excellence. He's looking for heart. Yes. So we have all these slick presentations and, and I'm not mocking it. I understand we're trying to keep up with the times, but we're so keeping up with the times that God's not there. God's all, I know He's everywhere theologically, but God is here. And God wants to demonstrate and show up and reveal more, more of His. Don't have to ask God to be here. To recognize God is here. You can't find excellent corporate worship until you stop trying to find excellent corporate worship and pursue God Himself. Yes. Familiarity breeds contempt. That's what we realize. I think we lose appreciation for the things of God. When you become critical of the things we used to value, like His presence. How, how important is the presence of God to you and I? I think we valued more than anything when we first got saved. It's become a thing that's mm, not so much. Don't interrupt what we're doing, God. We become critical of those things. You know, you cannot succeed in something you secretly despise. We become unreceptive to the things of God. We see the supernatural as ordinary and natural. And we substitute the supernatural by creating atmospheres. And my goodness, the church is good at that. We've got these atmospheres. And I'm not against, but we walk away going, wow, wasn't that awesome? God was awesome. It wasn't God. It was a keyboard or a smoke machine that made us feel like, and we wonder why. We wonder why people fall away. Because when the show is over, people fall away. But when it's God, people stay. Are you with me, friends? I'm not anti those things. I am anti those things taking the place of the most important thing, the presence of God. You know, I lived in Australia most of my life and I've used this the best illustration I have when it comes to understanding some of this. And if you go visit Australia, you've got all these major cities. All the cities are around the coast and on the beach. But then there is this outback in the middle of Australia that is just pretty much open space and outback. And, and that's where the ranch or cattle farmers raise the cattle in Australia. And when you go see these, you just see this endless miles of open space. But all this cattle, very few fences, but all the cattle hang together. 
Like in America, we, we put up fences to keep the cattle in, right? But there they don't do that. They just have endless miles of open space and very few fences. And if you're going to ask an Australian cattle farmer, why is it that you've got endless miles of open space, very few fences, but your animals are always together? Why is that? They'll tell you. Their job is not to put up fences. Their job is to dig for fresh water. Because wherever there's fresh water, their animals will come and drink. It's the fresh water that draws them to drink, not the fences that keep them inside. I think the church can learn something from those people that it's not about fencing people in. It's, it's where God says this, if you will look for my presence, I will show up. I believe people will drive. It's not about a meeting, but people will go past thousands of churches to the church. They'll go anywhere. They'll go as far as, because they come to drink of fresh water rather than we've got separation and division. I do believe that's what it means to be a presence-filled church where there's living water, real Authentic, come and drink. It means we've got to come in that place to be that people. Secondly, his power. And Chris shared about some of the testimonies and hearing some. I mean, it's awesome. Some of the guys getting healed. and I mean, guys, this is what we have to see from Scripture all the time. So his presence is a sign of a spiritful church, but also his power. You know, the early church, they lacked big budgets. Somehow we read scripture and think, gee, these guys had money. They did not have money. I mean, Peter and John in Acts 3 said, silver and gold we haven't got. Either they lied or they didn't have it. And I kind of think they didn't have it. So they didn't have big budgets like we wish we had today. Oh, if only we had what the early church has. Well, we do have. They lacked political approval and acceptance. Oh, they didn't have to live through our government and our governance and our mayors and our... No, no, they had people who put them in prison for doing what we're doing today. They didn't have the backing of their government. They lacked degrees in seminary and recognition. If only we had more scholars in our church and more people who've been taught by Bible colleges. Yeah, that's important. They didn't have that. But what they did have is power. And so do we today have power, same power. But I don't believe we believe it because when we read Scripture, we go, oh, that's awesome. God says today is awesome too. And one of the worst things we can do with power, are you ready? Pretend we haven't got it. And I think the church does that. The power thing, not comfortable, not sure. So we'll just pretend we haven't got it and hope it goes away. Not going away. It's God. Remember, it's not optional extra. It's God, the Holy Spirit, with power. When you read the Bible, guys, there is more biblical backing in the New Testament for strange fire than no fire. You cannot find no fire in the New Testament church. But you can find strange fire. And I'm not saying let's run after strange, but we're more comfortable with no fire than strange fire, which you can't find a biblical backing for. Tozer said if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the early church, 95% of what that church was doing would stop and everybody would know the difference. But more troubling, he said if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, most of what we're doing would carry on and nobody would even know the difference. We have a problem. What do you do with the Holy Spirit? C.T. Studd said, how little chance the Holy Spirit has nowadays. Churches have so bound him in red tape 
that they would practically ask him to sit in a corner while they do the work themselves. See, the gospel is one of power and must manifest through supernatural demonstration. Too many churches do not preach the word with power and authority and Jesus, that Jesus promised to all who follow him. And the tragedy of this is that we end up with powerless churches relying on human wisdom to see results. You know what the fruit is of that? A half-baked Christian. And the problem with half-baked Christians is that when trouble hits, they're the first ones gone. And I think that's what we've seen in this COVID shutdown lockdown is many have been half-baked, not blaming them, but they've been about one rather than understanding the need for the Holy Spirit. We've got to rediscover our radical age. Powerful witnessing. Powerful signs and wonders. I don't know, I know you might probably not be comfortable with that, but that's our call. Signs and wonders and prophecy, powerful delivering, deliverance, powerful healing, physical healing, emotional healing, spiritual, relational healing, all these things come with the power of God. Transforming power. Power to transform cities. You, if it's just us gathering in this office space hoping God shows up. Friends, we've been given power to transform this region. Nations being transformed by the Holy Spirit. We're not called to survive culture. We've been given the Holy Spirit to transform culture. Motivational power. I mean, I really like to talk about the healing power. Motivational power. The power of the Holy Spirit in the early church is a motivational power. People will leave family and leave friends and air-conditioned buildings to cross the sea to their lives, to give their lives in service for others. Who does that? The Holy Spirit helps us to do that. People will do, go to great lengths to serve the Lord in a church that is filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not just the power for them. It's power to motivate us to go and be. Thirdly, quickly, the third sign is His purity. I know that people don't talk a lot about this, but I, I want to tell you, you can't read the infilling, refilling, and empowering of the Holy Spirit without realizing He has a role to play in bringing purity. Give me the power stuff, but don't talk about purity. Same Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Let me just tell you, the Holy Spirit cannot save the world with a worldly church. You know, when the, when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, there was what we said, visible, what seemed to be tongues of fire. Now, why is that? Do you know that fire represents purity? In the, in, the, in the Bible. Fire represents purity. And I believe, honestly, that the Holy Spirit's role in our lives is to help us live lives of pure, of pure lives. It's one of the signs. And so we talk about being a spiritual church and we all want power and we're walking in manifest. What about purity? And many of us who struggle with sin, if we're honest, because most of us do struggle, we're trying to overcome sin with flesh. We've we been trying, well, Jesus did it on the cross. I'm going to try and not look at that. I'm going to try and not be like that. I'm going to try. You can't overcome flesh with flesh. Yeah. The Holy Spirit plays a role in this, bringing purity to our lives. For too long, I think that the church has chased this friendly ghost called Casper. Forgive me. Rather than the fire of the Holy Spirit who makes us more like Jesus. 
And so it's not just stuff out there, it's the stuff in our lives and in our hearts. And charisma without character is not the Spirit of God. God works, God's Spirit works on both. It's a major emphasis on the character transformation. And Paul alludes to this, even to the Corinthian church. I love that. It's the same principle with them. He, he had abundance of manifestations, but were lacking in the character of love and the fruit of the Spirit. Paul addresses that. It's not just all these manifestations. It's what about your character? And the unfortunate thing for the, early, uh, the Corinthian church is they never dealt with these things that derailed them from being the church they were called to be. You can have manifestations and still not go after the things that need to be dealt with in our hearts. We don't like to hear this. We don't like to talk about it. This is a spiritual church. Purity. Purity is sadly missing ingredient in the church today. And I want to tell you, the Holy Spirit produces purity of God in our lives. It's time to embrace the fire of God's presence. God's purpose is to purify us. His fire cleanses us and refines us. The Holy Spirit has this sanctifying influence on our lives. Do you know the one thing also is he brings wholeness. And I'm, kind of, I'm just stating obvious things. There are too many broken leaders in the church today. And broken people can't help broken people. You want to know why? Because they have head knowledge and understanding of Scripture, but they have no reality of the Spirit dealing with stuff in their own lives. And so we become principle-driven. We know all the Scriptures and we can tell, but we're broken. Why? Because we haven't made room for the Spirit to bring wholeness and healing to our lives. We listen to truth day in and day out. We go to conferences, but we do nothing with it. God wants us to take these principles and truth, get on our knees and allow the Spirit to bring wholeness to our lives. There's too many broken leaders. We need wholeness in the church again to bring wholeness to a desperate world out there. The Holy Spirit plays a major role in that. Fourthly, quickly, passion. That's not flesh passion, but a sign of the early church, spiritual church, is passion. His passion, not our passion. You know, it's abnormal for a believer not to have an appetite for the supernatural. Yes. Somehow we've kind of made people freak. You're a freak if you want the spirit stuff. No, no, you're a freak if you don't. Yeah. It's unnatural to not have a heart for the supernatural yeah. if you're a follower of Jesus. Right. Ephesians 5.18 says, do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Someone said, if Christians are forbidden to enjoy the wine of the Spirit, they will turn to the wine of the flesh. You know, this baptism of the Holy Spirit, let me get quickly practically practical with you. This baptism of the Holy Spirit will make Jesus increasingly real to you. John 15, verse 26. This baptism of the Spirit will release power and boldness to witness. Acts 1.8. This baptism of the Spirit will open up the Bible and make it real to you. It will no longer just be another book. It, the Spirit helps the Word of God, opens our eyes to see truth, learn truth, and become truth. I also want to say that this baptism of the Holy Spirit will release a new prayer and praise language. Acts 10 verse 46. Now we're kind of getting a bit weird. Just for a moment, yes, let's go there. What about tongues? 
I don't know where you stand on tongues and do you believe in tongues? And listen, I don't believe you have to speak in tongues to be born again, all right? You're born again by simply believing in the finished work of the cross, making Jesus Lord and Savior. That's your salvation, signed, sealed, and delivered. I do believe you can be empowered by the Holy Spirit and not speak in tongues. But here's what I want to say. We all have the privilege and get to speak in tongues. I know this is weird for some of us, and some of us say, well, I don't understand, nor do I, but this I know. God has given us the enablement and the ability to speak in a different language when we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And some of us say, well, you know, Tyron, I see that there's a gift of tongues. I'm not talking about the gift of tongues. There is a gift of tongues in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, where if there's a gift of tongues, let's say we have a meeting like this and someone speaks out in a tongue, well, that gift has been given to edify and build up the body, which means somebody then needs an interpretation to build us up. That's not what I'm talking about when I say speaking in tongues. I'm talking about the privilege that every one of us have the ability in God to speak in tongues, which builds ourselves up. So not you have to have the gift of tongues. I'm saying you already have the ability to speak in tongues. Because God wants us to build each other up, build ourselves up. Yeah. You must say, well, I don't, because you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of people being taught there's no such thing as tongues or tongues is of the devil. My dad got saved into a pretty legalistic denomination. But he didn't know any different. And so I'm not judging the people, I'm just judging their theology. They taught that tongues, if you speak in tongues, you're going to hell. Okay, it's, not, it's not like weird. You, you are going to hell if you speak in this language. So they were not comfortable with it. So they just said, you don't, you don't do it. And if you do it, you're going to hell. So he believed that, taught that, preached that. But thank God he had a heart for the Word of God. And so he was reading the book of Acts one day in his parish with all his Batman and Robin outfits, he called it, and his dog collars and all that. And he was reading the Word of God and he was longing for what he saw in the book of Acts. No one was there. No one talked to him. No one laid hands on him and taught him how to do something you can't learn from man. And he just, he longed for what he saw in Scripture. And he got filled with the Holy Spirit. And he began to speak in tongues. Now you got to understand, that wasn't weird. This is, you're going to hell. So being this man of integrity, he called the moderator and said, guys, we need to catch up. So they came in and drove in and they sat down and he said, I need to tell you something. He said, according to us, I'm going to hell. They're like, what are you talking about? He said, well, I speak in tongues. They were like, whoa, that's not good. And he said, well, and he told them, I was reading in my parish, preparing messages, reading through the book of Acts, longing for what I saw. And I got filled with the Holy Spirit. And by the way, I now speak in a language. According to us, I'm going to hell. And this is how the, the moderator responded. He said, listen, Dudley, here's the deal. If you sign an agreement and, and write and agree that you'll never do this again, then we'll pretend this never happened and we can just get on with things. I mean, that's the solution. Shut God up. Pretend this thing that you made happen didn't happen. Thank God my dad was so filled with the Spirit and so a man of truth said, with all due respect, sir, do you didn't hear me? God did this. God has done something in me and I want more of what God wants. So by the way, I quit. I resign. I'm gone. By the way, why am I wearing this dog collar? By the way, why am I wearing all this garb that is old covenant at best? Got nothing. 
Because when the Spirit's with you, you begin to reveal what's real. We all get to speak in tongues, guys. I'm not pushing that for you. You don't have to, but you get to. I keep using my illustration about buying shoes. When you buy a pair of shoes, none of us say, I want the shoes, but cut the tongues out. (laughs) You get the shoes, you get the tongues with your shoes. And I believe salvation. I mean, I don't want to dishonor the Holy Spirit. I'm trying to prove a point here. You get the Holy Spirit, you get tongues with your salvation. You don't have to, but man, who cuts your tongues out? Try to cut tongues out of your shoe and try and walk in those shoes. Very hard. They don't fit you if you don't have the tongue in there. It's the same when it comes to the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you, every one of us in this room have the privilege of speaking in tongues. And it's to enable us and to edify us and to build us up. And we need that as the people of God. Yeah? He will lead us to make the right decisions. Romans 8.14, the Holy Spirit sets you free in praise and worship. It's not something we put on. He sets us free. The Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is... There's freedom. He'll fill us with God's love and joy. Romans 5, 5, Acts 13, 52. He'll equip you with spiritual gifts to get the job done. The Holy Spirit brings passion to preach the gospel. Passion to plant churches. I mean, we can stand up and say, who wants to plant? We need to plant. Friends, the Holy Spirit gives us a passion to plant churches. Passion for the lost. We see that in the early church. Number five, quickly, His peace. His peace. You know, the Holy Spirit, a sign of a spiritful church is His peace. How do we find peace in this world today? My goodness. It's the Holy Spirit who brings peace. When the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, we see 120 of them were gathered in the upper room and they were all in one accord. They were all of the same mind. They were all at peace with one another. They were united. When the Holy Spirit comes, He brings peace with God. Man, I tell you, most of the issues we carry with each other is because we're not at peace with God. When you're at peace with God, we have peace with each other. We have peace with the world. Although we are not of this world, this world is not our enemy. It seems like we forgot that. The Holy Spirit helps us to live at peace with all people. And that's why I think we're not seeing enough of that because the Holy Spirit's not evident in the church today. Number six, persuasion, convincing. I love that. I think it's missing in the church. His persuasion. We try and convince each other, but when the Holy Spirit convinces us, man will never be, never go back. Jesus taught in John 15 and 16 about the role of the Holy Spirit. And he said that the work of the Holy Spirit is to convict. But also he will take things I've shown and taught and he'll make them known to you. When the Holy Spirit makes the truth of Jesus known to us, we're going to be persuaded and convinced. Yeah. We're not going to be taken by what the world's doing. We're not going to be persuaded by other people. Conviction that comes from Him. Yeah. So let me land with this. How does the Holy Spirit empower us? Through proclamation. Yeah. You know, the Holy Spirit doesn't make you better than someone else. He makes you better than you. When Peter stood up to preach, he was no longer the Peter of old. He was now empowered. He was a better Peter than Peter because of the Holy Spirit. You know, I was just thinking about this. The first time I went to Brazil to minister, it was 96. And I was invited by another guy who's an evangelist to go and preach. And what we did was we landed there, two of us, and he had a team there. And we were just setting up in Belo Horizonte and all these different regions. 
we were setting up these, these amazing uh, kind of big uh, st stages and had musicians. And we'd go knock on the, in villages and towns and go knock on the doors and, of the places and just invite people to come hear the gospel. And so he, the one night was preaching, we, we alternated. He did one night, I did. And we had hundreds of people show up to these meetings and we preached the gospel. And, but I remember the first, one of the nights he was preaching and he called for, for people to come and a whole lot of people came forward so he said to me, Tyron, you take that side of the, of the group and I'll take this side and let's minister over these people. I was like, yeah, sounds great. So he, I saw a guy standing there, looked at me. I said, come and help me. So Because the translation, realize it's Portuguese. I don't speak Portuguese. So we are ministering to these people. God's showing up. Friends, stuff happening. I mean, I'm telling you radical stuff. People have been slain in the spirit. People have gold dust and gold teeth. All the stuff I don't understand. But God doing something. But every time I ministered to someone, this guy, I'd say to him, tell this person this, and they'd tell him, and then manifestations and demonic stuff. And it was just this amazing God doing his thing. Yeah. But here's what's more amazing. After that meeting, I went to the guy who was translating for me, and I said, hey, man, thanks for getting, stepping in and helping me. And, and he could not understand a word I was saying. Do you understand? The guy that it translated for me in the meeting, after the meeting, could not speak English. I didn't read about that. I experienced that, and it blew my mind that God will use anything He can or anyone He can to do what He wants done for the moment, not afterwards. This guy could not speak English, yet he spoke fluent into my ear. And when I told him, tell them this, ask them this, he would tell me what they said. After the meeting, he was Portuguese and couldn't speak English. I freaked out, as I'm sure you would. And I went running around. I said, this is unbelievable. And they all said to me, don't you experience that in America? I was like, well, we don't need to, I guess. But no, we don't. I just was reminded of that story. God will do whatever it takes to empower His people, to minister to people, to get them set free and saved. We've got to rely way more on the Spirit in our planning and in our praying and our personal lives. So we land with this. Just remember this about the Holy Spirit. He's not a luxury meant to make deluxe Christians. He's an imperative necessity. Only the eternal Spirit can do eternal deeds. Another thing is that the Spirit of God is holy. He's always holy. Always holy. And he's grieved when we don't believe the Word of God. He's grieved when we resist his leading. He's grieved when we refuse to change. He's grieved when we did not put his will over ours. When we put his will, do not put his will over ours. He's grieved when he's not welcomed into our meetings or into our lives. He's grieved when we're embarrassed by him. He's grieved when we criticize his servants, and speak evil of them. He is God. We do not boss Him around. He uses me. I don't use Him. I need to learn from Him. He doesn't need to learn from me. He's not a theory course. He's not a series that we do for eight weeks or whatever it be, and then we move on to the next truth. All our thoughts of Him don't make up our lack of Him. He's not a theory is the point of the series to which he wants to be the point of our lives. He's the point of our teaching. Instruction is useless without him. 
the point. When, he, when his presence comes, please hear this, it's going to look like something. The Holy Spirit does not come to divide, but he may divide. And it's not his fault. It's ours. You cannot preach a powerful message and live a conservative life. You have to live this, be it, in order to preach it. Can't fake it with the Holy Spirit. He's real. He's God. He's not playing. Let's close our eyes, if you don't mind. Let's close your eyes for a minute. I'm not trying to make anything happen here, but I don't believe you can talk about the Holy Spirit without giving a moment for another filling, infilling, refilling. I don't know where you're at. Maybe you're fearful, and I get that, but we need to come back to understanding. You can trust God. God, the Holy Spirit. We need Him more than ever before. And in John chapter 7, just keep your eyes closed for a moment. I'm not trying to get spiritual. Just focus for a moment. John 7, Jesus said this. It says, On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and he said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, streams of living water will flow from within him. And by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Three things he tells us to do. First, a deep longing for, what God, for God to meet with you in this way. God creates the thirst and he satisfies that thirst. Tozer said, before a man can be filled with the Spirit, he must be sure he wants to be filled with the Spirit. So firstly, thirst. Secondly, Come to Jesus and ask. Luke eleven thirteen. If you then, though are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And then thirdly, drink. Lay hold of this blessing by faith. First, come to Jesus and ask and drink.